Welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate Podcast. My name is Pat Locke with the Global FX Strategy Team. Joining me today out of London is my colleague James Nelligan. James, thanks very much for joining. Major week for Global FX last week. We've been lamenting kind of the lack of volatility in our space for the better part of the last month or two, uh, particularly given that macro data seem to be aligning for another bout of dollar strength. Um, instead, the dollar basically collapsed in the wake of the CPI data last week out of the U.S. Uh, dollar twice was down about 2% on a broad basis over the week, which outside of the fourth quarter of last year was basically the fastest sell-off um, over the last decade or so. And we took out some pretty major levels in the process. Uh, Euro dollar is still hovering on the 112 handle. Dollar yen broke below 140. Uh, cable's north of 130 now. Uh, so some pretty important developments. Um, and so, James, starting with you, uh, maybe to set the scene, could you just kind of briefly walk us through what happened? You know, what was your read on the data? Uh, what was the nature of the FX response? Um, and really just generally kind of like what stood out to you in particular? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, so obviously, yeah, the, the main event last week, as you say, US CPI. Uh, I think it's interesting because the whisper number was on the softer side before the print. So arguably the market spent Monday and Tuesday pricing 0.2 on core, uh, you know, encouraged by the softer Mannheim used cars data that, that was released early in the week. So uh, for, for the moves to get much more aggressive than that, as the, the 0.2 outcome was realized, was was quite a surprise uh, from my perspective. Um, the components, though, were quite favorable for dollar weakness. So obviously, Supercore was around flat on the month and Shelter showed uh, some continued uh, progress for the Fed. Uh, but the, the other interesting thing about the market response to CPI was just how, how large the FX moves were relative to the fixed income move. So US 10-year only down around 15 basis points, whereas as euro dollar had, had climbed, you know, a, a couple of figures higher. Uh, so our, our rate strategists have pointed out that, that there's still obviously a material amount of, of easing priced for the Fed next year in, in a world where it's going to become increasingly difficult to get inflation, core inflation down from from 4% to, to anywhere near 2%. Uh, so that that's partly why we've we've chosen to keep uh, yen shorts just as a a hedge to higher yields uh, from here. Uh, but Patrick, obviously, uh, one of the reasons the move was interesting uh, was because it transpired without much of a bounce in in the global data. So obviously, this week China's data disappointed. You know, to start the week today, but but the dollar's response has been quite middling, really. You. You looked at uh, dollar correlations in, in the weekly last week. Uh, what what were your main takeaways there? So generally speaking, I mean, one of the foundational elements of our dollar framework is that it's an anti-cyclical asset. Um, so basically, when global growth is weak, um, or as you say, middling or missing expectations of the downside, you know, that's the kind of environment where you'd expect the dollar to be actively rallying. Um, that's especially the case when U.S. data is printing above average uh, which it had been when you look at kind of the economic surprise indices that we track. Um, so looking around, you know, China is still not exactly booming. We actually just downgraded our full year growth forecast there again. Europe is still kind of, you know, just 
muddling along. Germany is kind of one of the lowest manufacturing PMI levels, for example. Um, those are not the kind of conditions where you'd expect broad-based dollar weakness. Nevertheless, that's exactly what we got last week. And again, one of the larger one-week sell-offs in recent memory for the dollar, but one that was predicated more on kind of this U.S. Goldilocks scenario rather than a rest of world improvement. Um, and so that's quite striking. Um, we dug into the correlations a bit further just to see kind of where the dollar is showing more sensitivity to. Um, and generally, we find that the dollar's correlation to traditional cyclical indicators like the manufacturing PMIs are low relative to history and falling, uh, but its correlation to rates is still pretty high. Um, and so one way to square that, I think, is you know thinking about the rates inflation paradigm now versus before COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID, you could argue you know, inflation rates were mostly a function of just the output gap. And so trends in the dollar versus rates and the dollar versus inflation tended to move together. Now that's less obviously the case, you know, given changes in kind of you know, corporate pricing behavior, supply constraints, et cetera. So maybe maybe that impacts some of the correlations. Um, and then lastly, you know, I'd, I would note that there's been some pretty significant decoupling uh, in PMIs by sectors as well. So namely, you know, manufacturing data, which is weak versus services data, which is hanging in. Um, so maybe that's kind of muddling the correlation too, given that, you know, people just perceive manufacturing to be traditionally the most cyclically and rate sensitive uh, sector there. So bottom line is that the dollar is showing more correlation to rates than, than the traditional growth metrics um, at the moment. Another thing I would add is just that, you know, the other way to think about this is perhaps, um, you know, mar perhaps markets are extrapolating the rising odds of the soft landing in the U.S. Uh, to the rest of the world as well. Um, that would at least give you the kind of um, global growth improvement um, that would foster the kind of traditional dollar weakness from its anti-cyclical properties. Uh, but again, with China and Europe still kind of middling, um, you know, that means the burden of proof falls on the rest of the world to validate uh, with hard data um, to get that kind of Goldilocks pricing in the dollar. Um, and it's to be determined on whether that will eventually be met. Okay, so what conditions would be consistent with another leg lower in the dollar from here. Do you, do you think that the tactical setup is is conducive to to another quick bout of dollar weakness? So are we looking at another setup like like the fourth quarter of last year? So I feel quite strongly that the, the current tactical setup isn't as problematic for the dollar as it was back in the fourth quarter. I mean, just to recap, in early November last year, the dollar was at the highs on the back of the UK LDI crisis and European natural gas up, up above 300. It was overshooting kind of short-term proxies of fair value. Positioning was definitely long. And then you had kind of a one-two punch with the first material downside surprise to CPI out of the US. And that was followed by Powell about a week later, you know, starting to talk about stepping down the pace of hikes, um, you know, through the remainder of the year. Plus, China was about, a start, was about to start reopening. So it was something of a regime change, I think, in the inflation and Fed narratives back then. Plus, positioning and valuations were all wrong way for the dollar. Um, I don't think that's the case now. You know, disinflation is continuing, but that's generally been the direction of travel that um, you know, markets have been expecting. And as you alluded to up front, market was already bracing for kind of a soft side print anyways. Uh, then China is obviously you know, much weaker than the early reopening process. The dollar twi levels are way off the highs. Um, and so the valuation froth isn't there. 
Um, so altogether, that to me suggests that the next leg of dollar weakness, if it is actually realized, uh, should not be as aggressive and should be you know, relatively more controlled uh, compared to the fourth quarter. Um, but setting aside the, the global backdrop, um, you know, one exercise we did is we did apply some betas uh, from a handful of dollar, dollar models that we've run in the past to get a sense of what, you know, it, for example, a 3% um, you know, dollar weakening would look like. Um, essentially, that would be consistent with any of the following. Um, one is a 60 basis point narrowing in U.S. versus rest G10 real yields. Another would be a one and a half to two vol drop in the um, in the VIXI, which is our proxy for, um, you know, G7 FX volatility. Um, given the dollar spot vol correlation has been quite high this cycle. Another would be a 15% rise in equities, global equities, assuming that there's no um, outperformance on the U.S. side, um, U.S. global splat. Or finally, you know, looking at dollar yen, for example, uh, another 25 basis point narrowing of a 10-year uh, swap spreads would also be consistent with dollar yen moving about 3% lower. So those are all based on models from the last two to five years or so um, with pretty um, decent explanatory power. Uh, and so those are the kind of inputs that I think would be consistent with another you know, 3% lower uh, in the USD. Uh, and so back to you, James, um, big, it's a big dollar environment right now, uh, but there's still some opportunity in the RV space. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about Swiss's prospects in the, in the wake of last week, and you've been constructive there for a while. Uh, you know, could you just walk us through what other parts of G10FX that you like and don't like, and maybe taking into account some of the, the range breaks that we, that we had last week? Yeah, I, th I think it was interesting last week that the best performers were, were the G10 funders. So Swiss, Yen, and Scandies, if you subscribe to the thesis that Scandies have been used as funders for by the street to construct uh, carry neutral, sorry, beta neutral carry baskets. But Swiss seems to be displaying kind of an asymmetric response to different carry regimes. So we, we put a nice chart on this in, in the weekly, just looking at rolling returns for the G10 funders uh, since the carry trade started or accelerated last year. And Swiss seems to, to outperform when the funders do well, but doesn't really participate as much when, when the funders sell off. So it's, it's quite a symmetric response to, to different carry regimes. Um, we think that's due to just the, the continued weakness in, in the Eurozone survey data. Uh, so we got the, the Centix and, and the ZEW surveys last week, which suggest that the, the the July PMIs in Europe could could fall again. Obviously, it's it's always hard to to motivate uh, Swiss domiciled investors to to push flows into Europe when when there doesn't really seem to be a solid engine of of growth there. Uh, Stocky obviously saw some uh, large moves after the the US CPI uh, last week, but uh, we think growth is is still weak enough there to to merit a short with. With the composite PMI making a, a new cycle low, now for sterling, clearly there's there's a rate spread angle to, to sterling at the moment. But let's not forget though that trading sterling versus rate spreads as a strategy completely broke down last year uh, as as growth weakened, and uh, we're, we're now starting to build on the evidence that Bank of England tightening is impacting the data again. Uh, so we got the the RICS housing survey last week, which hit the cycle low. Uh, the right move house price data this week uh, was the, the first uh, first mo monthly fall in, the, in that series uh, of the year. 
and uh, obviously last week's uh, credit conditions survey for, from the Bank of England as well. So uh, we can also see sterling's correlation to rate spreads falling. So the market clearly has growth kind of in, in the back of its mind. Um, this week, though, uh, I just add that any upside surprise in, in UK CPI could squeeze shirt sterling shorts a bit more. Uh, but we look to uh, next week's UK PMIs as as a reminder that you know the PMIs have been undershooting, and uh, our UK economist has been flagging uh, hard landing risks. All right, thanks, James. We'll leave it there for this week. Thanks everybody for joining. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to J.P. Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 17th, 2023.